0: Okay, Mic check 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2 Uh, yeah Let's get it Okay So if y'all wanna get crazy We can get crazy, 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 crazy. What? Grape red? Red Who drank my apple juice? I, 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 I like to give big round thoughts to my band Sexual chocolate Please What? One game, one on one For what? It was like his dip just... To me. Baby, please! Please! Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please! Yo, you got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth! Rude, rude, What's up everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. Very excited and intrigued to dig into this film today. You know, every once in a while, I'll ask the audience, I'll ask you lovely people, what films you would like to hear me cover, what films you would like to hear me talk about on the podcast. And a film that came up a couple of times, actually, was the film that we're going to be covering today. I did not hear great things about this film. I, in fact, heard really bad things about this film, and it's Delivered. In that vein. I didn't like it very much, but it's very important for us to talk about films that are not great and the ways in which the representation could have been improved and kind of where they went wrong along the way. So uh, welcome to this week's episode. This week's episode is called Adventures in Confusion and Conflation, and we will be getting into the nitty gritty of the film Antebellum. But first... What is the word on the street? King of my city, king of my country, king of my homeland, king of the filthy, king of the fallen, we livin' again. King of the shortest looters, boosters, and ghetto's popping King of the past, present, future, my ancestors watchin'. So Word on the Street is a segment that I'll do every once in a while on the show, and this is where I'll talk about something that's upcoming in the world, of black film, a black media, if you will. And before I get into this week's Word on the Street, I must say this is not a Marvel Stan podcast. I know I've mentioned them a couple of times recently on the podcast, and you think, like, oh my god, he, like, loves Marvel, but I don't. I do have some issues with them here and there, but one of the best things that has been produced by Marvel is fucking Black Panther and Black Panther is very important to us as a community. So I wanted to talk about the news that we found out about the Black Panther sequel. This just in, friends. So we found out that the Black Panther sequel will officially be titled Wakanda Forever, and it is slated to be released in July 2022. Of course, directed again by Ryan Coogler. Many of the main cast are slated to come back. Daniel Kaluuya is not confirmed yet, but everyone else in the main cast, like Angela Bassett, Lupita, Denai, we have, oh my God, what's her name? Five. Leticia Wright is back, Winston Duke is back, and of course there will be no Chadwick Boseman as we tragically lost Chadwick Boseman to colon cancer. And of course this was a very, very big surprise to everyone including Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feig who is the head honcho at Marvel Studios. And there are several rumors that I've heard about this film now, since Chadwick will not be back to play T'Challa as was originally planned, one rumor that I've heard is that about the first 50 pages of the script are about the morning that happens in Wakanda and kind of a morning ceremony. And that sounds about right. I mean, the first 50 pages would be about the first act of the film, and the original Black Panther cut was a lot longer than what we got, so I don't think all of those 50 pages will make it into the film per se, but I mean That sounds about right. They lost their king and we lost Chadwick in real life. And I think they really want to do right by him with a beautiful tribute in this film. So that's going to be a major part of the film, mourning the loss of their king in this film. And another big rumor is that Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, who is T'Challa's younger sister, will become the Black Panther. I think to me that makes sense within the story, but we'll see what happens. I like Letitia Wright a lot. You know, she was saying some anti-vax shit earlier this year or late last year. That kind of gave me a little side eye toward her. But, you know, I think this would be good for her. I think she can definitely handle it. And I'm interested to see what they do with the rest of the film. I'm very interested to see what else will develop from this. And... I applaud Ryan Coogler for sticking to his guns and continuing to shoot in Georgia even though there's some fuckery going on with voting rights and voting laws in Georgia, his whole point being that, like, I want to keep these people employed. I want to keep these black folks who are working on this film in Georgia employed because, you know, pulling out would actually be antithetical to what I believe in and, you know, what these laws are actually trying to do. So big ups to Ryan Coogler. Big ups to everybody who's working on this film right now. It's going to be really tough. And I'm really excited to see what they do and how they paid tribute to Brother Bozeman. So Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, coming July 2022. And one day we will be doing Black Panther on the podcast. So I'll talk about Marvel again. I'm sorry. But, you know... They are putting some good black people up, and we gotta celebrate that. So, yeah. So let's get into the nitty gritty of Antebellum. You are here for one reason, one reason only. To learn, to learn, to learn. So, Antebellum was released in 2020. I believe it was released during the height of the pandemic. It was released pretty much straight to internet platforms. And this film was directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz. And this film, is basically about a woman named Veronica, who is a famous author and sociologist, and she's just written a very, very popular book that is pretty much about black folks reclaiming our narrative, and I think she touches upon some of the ways in which evils and racism still exist in the world, in our country specifically today. Veronica is played by Janelle Monet. and when Veronica is on a book tour in Louisiana, she basically gets kidnapped by these white people who take her to a Civil War reenactment camp that has a private section in the back that apparently nobody knows about in which they recreate slavery. So they kidnap black people and literally recreate slavery to the T, the whole nine yards. In fact, when we first meet Veronica, we meet her as Eden, and the first 40 minutes of this movie, you're basically watching this woman exist on a plantation, with a bunch of other enslaved people. And I think one of the first things you see is this black woman get killed. So they're really doing it literally like slavery. So we will get into many things about this, but the reason why that kind of sounds confusing is because it is very confusing. I don't like to shit talk films. I think that there is usually something in a film even if I think it's bad that I think is you know useful in terms of creating a conversation useful in terms of just existing you know I know how difficult it is to make a film and I don't take that process for granted and I don't want to take anyone else who's gone through that process for granted, I know that there are so many things, so many levels in which things can go wrong, but I do have to say that this movie in general comes off as pretty irresponsible in a lot of ways, and also just comes off really sloppy. The production is sloppy. The way that was put together is just so sloppy, and we'll get into all those things, but first, the rest of the people that are in this movie, this film also stars Eric Lang, Jenna Malone, who I love and I think this was a waste of her time along with Janelle Monet's, Jack. Huston, Kiersey Clemens, who I also love, and I think this was a waste of her time, and Gabourey Sidibe, who I also love and think this was a waste of her time. There's a little pattern here. You see, Gabourey is actually one of the better parts of this film, honestly. She provides such a fresh energy, She's funny, she's very present, she really does her job, commits to it fully, and then gets to go. Thankfully, she really only gets to exist in the world in which Veronica is out here as an author. So the confusing thing about this is that the act structure of this film is predicated on these twists, right? So at first, when we're in the movie, for the first 40 fucking minutes of this movie, I always write down notes when I am watching a film or re-watching a film for the podcast. And something that I wrote down quite often was, what the fuck is going on? And not from a good way, right? I think there are times when you're watching a movie and you can be like, oh my God, what's happening? This is so suspenseful. Where is it going next? I totally trust this story. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust that they will give me a good result. This film is not like that. You are literally just kind of confused. I mean, this first act is 40 minutes of watching Veronica as quote unquote Eden on the plantation. And things are going on that are later explained, but the significance isn't really dope enough for you to be like, oh shit, I'm so glad that I was so fucked up and confused for most of this movie because these explanations are great, they're perfect. They're not, they're just kind of basic and a little lazy and again I don't want to shit on this film completely because though I didn't like it I can kind of see where some of these intentions may have been coming from so yeah the first act it's 40 minutes of Eden existing on the plantation and then all of a sudden after she's been raped by this guy who owns the plantation, and you see this happen time and time again, you see so much violence against black women in this film, a phone rings and she wakes up in what appears to be the present. And you're like, hmm, this is weird. What's going on here? Is there some sort of like time traveling element? Because there's a point where Veronica, now that we've met her as a successful author in the present, she rubs her back in the place that she is branded when she is in Civil War times, when she is what we are to this point to believe the past. So we're like, what's happening? Is this kind of talking about epigenetics in that All black people can feel the trauma of slavery within us. Is that the point that it's trying to make here? We don't know yet. So we see, so that's the twist from act one into act two, kind of seemingly jumping from civil war times to the present time and getting to meet Veronica as the successful sociologist and author. And then in act two, we see these white people kind of popping up in strange, coincidental ways. And these are people that we recognize from being on the plantation. It kind of feels like the Wizard of Oz when, you know, when Dorothy goes to Oz, she sees all these people like the witch, like the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow who are all people who are also in her real life that we see in beginning of that film in the end of that film so again it's like what's going on here is this trying to say something about an alternate reality that veronica is going to when she sleeps because when we transition from act one to act two it seems like this is possibly a world that she goes to in her sleep because she wakes up into act two, and her husband asks her about these dreams that she's been having. So I'm like, is this an alternate reality that she goes to? What's happening here? And there's all these things about sleep, so you can kind of think that maybe that's the thing. Because even at some point when Janelle Monae is with her friend, played by Gabrielle Sidibe, She says something about going to sleep and you're in your head, you're just like, girl, I'm going to sleep. Cause this could trigger wherever you're going to, this world of slavery and this world of pain and everything like that. But then it becomes clear at the end of act two, transitioning into act three, that these white people that we're seeing from the plantation in what we still believe to be the present day are these people who have been kidnapping black people and bringing them to a Civil War reenactment camp, a private section of this reenactment camp, in which these white people are kidnapping black people and forcing them to relive the Civil War era or pretty much, you know, over 250 years before that, they could have picked really any time. So yeah, every act is kind of predicated on a twist that is only semi-satisfying. I mean, what can be satisfying about this film in the first place, right? We are dealing with a period of time that is awful and traumatic. And there is not that sense of empowerment that we get from certain pieces that deal in genre and also deal with things like racism, sexism. Like for example, Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country is a genre piece that deals with these issues head on, taking place in the civil rights era in America. And we see these people realistically deal with racism head on. It is a very big aspect and driving force of the show. And at the same time, Lovecraft Country is about These black people being empowered and fighting against these forces of evil that are factual and fictional and using magic and horror and sci-fi to explore those things. All of those characters are so empowered and powerful. And I would say, especially the black women. And that is not the case in this film really at all. I mean, do you get to see Some white people burn to a crisp, yes. And we love to see white people burn to a crisp in whatever the quality of the piece is. (laughs) It's very satisfying. It's great. You know, Jenna Malone's character does meet a death in this film, but it feels very campy. And it doesn't feel like Janelle Monae's character is still empowered at the end of the day. Also, she calls the cops. (laughs) And I'm like, girl, the cops are there. They're part of this little camp. They are there. And the fact that we're ending on the police kind of save the day and then get the place shut down, I don't like that. That doesn't buy with me at all. I mean, something that Jordan Peele did, which is so smart and correct and brilliant at the end of Get Out is that when the cops come, Chris knows that if the cops are there, that's it. He's toast. It's done. It's a done deal. But then he has Rod, played by Lil Rell, who's his friend and a TSA agent, come out of the car. Now that's brilliant. And that's how you do it. And also the thing about Get Out is that Get Out explores the ways in which racism pervades in our society today. In a very realistic way that's grounded and then you add the horror on top of that this film as a thriller horror is like seems like it's trying to say you know of course the past is the present and i and i get that and they're trying to say it seems in some ways that the ways that racism pervaded then are the same ways that they do now? And the answer to that is of course, yes. And we all know that. And I think what's more enlightening is to explore how those things come up in the present. There are shades of it in here. You do get shades of it, especially with Gabourey Sidibe's character. You know, when they are in the quote unquote present and Janelle Monet's character, Veronica, has made reservations for them at a very fancy restaurant. They are put initially at this really shitty small table for three, cause it's Gabourey, Janelle, and a white friend of theirs. And then Gabourey tells the host to put them at a bigger table cause it's bullshit. And that's absolutely true. And that is a good moment in the film. But if you're trying to put that point across by just putting us back in slavery, I don't know. A lot of it feels kind of like duh to me. It doesn't feel like it's enlightening and it doesn't feel like it's pushing the conversation forward. And it kind of got me thinking about The Handmaid's Tale and I had to question myself, I had to ask myself, you know, why do I like something like The Handmaid's Tale? And I did not enjoy this. I think there's a couple reasons that is. I think, first of all, The Handmaid's Tale, and of course, also, this is a story about a woman who becomes empowered in a time where women are stripped of their power and rises and, basically causes the downfall of this place that they've set up called Gilead. So again, through all of the trials and tribulation and violence and rape that happens in that book, in that show, at the end of the day, it is still pointed toward the ultimate empowerment of these people. And this film does not really do that for me. And I think that it can for certain people, but it just did not do it for me. And I think that there's also a sense of finesse that The Handmaid's Tale has in terms of production, in terms of design, in terms of specificity, in terms of detail, in creating a world. I think the world building in Antebellum ends up coming off as kind of sloppy and not thought out, kind of like a bad episode of Black Mirror. And the design choices even, in terms of like just basic things, like having really solid color schemes, there aren't there. It seems like they're approaching that, but they fall short quite often. The acting is really not good. Gabrielle Sidibe, I think, is really the only good person in this film, which is unfortunate because I love Janelle Monet. I think she is an excellent performer. I have seen her on stage many times. She is absolutely wonderful. She is an incredible artist. She's an essential artist. But she's not good in this film. I think that for someone who is honestly newer at acting on the screen, these people all They need guidance and that's not her fault at all. I do not fault her at all. This script is also not good. The score is almost really good. Uh, The score at the beginning, the very beginning of this film, which seems like it may be a painful film, but it may also end up being a good film. You're seeing this tracking shot throughout the plantation. Horrible things are happening at every turn. And the score is playing and I'm like, okay, this movie may be bad. I have a lot of preconceived notions about this movie because I've just heard so many bad things about it. So I'm ready to go in and kind of dislike it. But the first couple minutes I was like, well, I like this movie. This score is like really good. But even that ends up giving out later in the film. It ends up being really, really bad, actually. And in terms of slave narratives in general... There is a way to approach them that, again, doesn't leave such a taste of irresponsibility in one's mouth. One piece that I'm thinking of a lot is the show Underground, which was also run by Misha Green, who is the showrunner of Lovecraft Country. The way that everyone's journey is portrayed in the show Underground is absolutely excellent. Journey is also in this show, as is Aldous Hodge, and they are two enslaved people who have escaped from their plantation, and basically kind of how they get involved with the Underground Railroad and how they end up also freeing other enslaved people. It is such an excellent show and it is done with the utmost responsibility. And again, it is so empowering. It is empowering to see how our people rose up during the most awful period of American history and still were superheroes and got shit done and helped out our fellow people. That is, is not present in this film and yeah it's kind of upsetting it's really interesting i was talking to my godmother about this movie on mother's day i was just in new jersey for mother's day and i was talking to her about this film because she mentioned it i was cooking my mom a pineapple upside down cake children and it was delicious bt dubs and so I'm you know, focused on this, but I hear the word antebellum and I run out into the dining room and I say, that movie was terrible. And my godmother, Joan, who is one of the smartest fucking people that I know, who is just so dope in every, every, every single way possible, and also a writer herself, and very, very into black sci-fi. She loves Octavia Butler. And when I said it was terrible, she kind of had a look on her face that said that she didn't think it was terrible. She didn't think it was great either, but she didn't think it was terrible. And she was saying that, you know, because she had watched it so close after the January 6th insurrection on the Capitol, she felt that there was something very real about it. And some point that she brought up based on what I was saying about it and saying how it kind of felt very who is this for in terms of who is this trying to educate about the ways that racism still pervades in this country? Because we all know that. We all know that very well. You know, speaking of epigenetics, we all have that trauma in our bodies, and we are all very aware of the ways in which racism still pervades. And kind of putting it back to that time, my point being, didn't feel right to me, didn't feel enlightening or like a good way to approach the subject and she said something that I thought was very interesting and kind of clarified my own point of view is that she said that it seems like I wanted to see something about the war that is coming rather than the war that happened and I was like yes that is absolutely it that is absolutely it and There is something interesting, too, about folks from my parents' generation and seeing Black representation. My parents and Joan were both born, were all born, (laughs) in the 50s. So they grew up during the Civil Rights Movement. They grew up during segregation. So they have a very, 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 very specific point of view when it comes on black representation. And it's interesting because sometimes I think that can translate into them kind of in some ways just being down for it, period. Because they lived through a time where black representation was fucking terrible. It either was non-existent or it was all, all racist ass stereotypes. So when films come out that are about us, that tell about our history, that shed some light on our history, they're down, they're excited to see it. They are very just looking forward to seeing what is in store. You know, me and my mom saw Birth of a Nation, the Nate Parker movie, I thought it was so bad, but my mom was like, that was pretty good. And I understand why she thinks that. I think that, you know, we have grown up in a different time. We have seen, we have been honestly very privileged to grow up seeing some really dope black representation on TV and in movies. I mean, we grew up in the 90s. That is a heyday of black television and black film. Heyday. Heyday. So having grown up in that time period, we have higher expectations. When we see a trailer like Green Book, we call it out. We're like, oh, it's gonna be bullshit. And it was bullshit. We see a trailer for Antebellum and we're kind of like, mm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then we see it and we're like, mm. <laughs> I knew I was feeling this type of way about this because it's not good. And we are also wanting to see less representation that is directly related to race because we are interested in really pushing things forward. And I think their generation is as well. And they are also still grateful for seeing it, period. So I absolutely get why that is. And in fact, I wish I had Joan on the show to talk about it today because I wanted to hear more about her point of view on the film, and something else that she brought up that was so interesting. So when I first was hearing reactions from friends about this film, friends who are mostly critics and people who write about film, et cetera, I had just assumed that this was directed by two white men. Uh, The things that I was hearing, I was like, this has to be directed by two white men or at least two people who are not black. But that's not the case. One of these directors is Black, and my godmother, Joan, was telling me that apparently Gerard Bush, who is the Black counterpart of this writer-director duo, apparently he was saying that an ancestor, one of his ancestors, came to him in a dream and told him to make this film. I would have rather seen a film about that. (laughs) You know? A film about someone getting a message from their ancestor and telling them to write and create this film and what the process of that is and kind of what this person goes through as they're dealing with that, that would have been a really interesting film. So, yeah, honestly, there's really not much more to say about this film, but I am interested in having conversations about it. I would actually love to chat with these filmmakers one day and kind of talk about their intentions for the film. I think that there's some things that they had intended to do that just did not come off well really at all. And I would be really interested to talk to them about the process of making the film, how much the studio was involved in possible rewrites and of the framing of the film and if any of that got in the way, if there's any other issues of white gaze that got in the way, because you know that happens with big studio films. And Lionsgate, I don't know. I don't know, kind of iffy about them as a studio. So yeah, I think that's an element of this show in general that I would love to do in the future as the podcast continues to grow. And you know, one day, if this becomes something like a television show or something like that, having interviews with filmmakers and really talking to them about their films and the process and everything, I would love nothing more. So in conclusion, I gotta say, this is one of the worst movies that I've seen in quite some time. And at the same time, I think black folks should be allowed to fail with films as well but I just wish it wasn't with this particular subject matter. It's just not well done and irresponsible in so many ways. Also, I think I can kind of see what their intentions were, but then sometimes I feel like not even, you know? Everything that was said here feels very obvious, but it's important to be critical of these films when they come out and really send that message to Hollywood about what we really, really want to see and how we really, really want to see ourselves represented on screen. So if you want to check out Antebellum, which I think you should, just in terms of conversation, I guess. It is now streaming on Hulu. All my life I had to find- The time has come for this week's You Better Act Award. If you don't know, if you are unfamiliar, this is an accolade that I give out on the show every week in order to celebrate really dope Black performances. We don't, in a general sense, get enough love for the dope performances that we give, so I get to do that on my show. Yes. So, this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please... (laughs) Andrea Day and the United States versus Billie Holiday. So, this film was released this year, directed by Lee Daniels, and it really does go into what the FBI did to bring Billie Holiday down and to also prevent her from singing the song Strange Fruit that was inspiring a lot of activism in the black community and also to white people too. I think it was very enlightening to a lot of white people who do care about race and who do just care about black people. So as I've said before in the podcast, When singers are in films it's a toss-up, you know? Either they are working with a director or a subject matter that really allows them to connect to acting the way that they do when they sing, when they're in concert, when they're doing music videos, you know, the way that they can access that drama that they bring to their music. And sometimes that doesn't end up happening. It doesn't really click. So we get something that kind of falls flat, but, With this performance, oh my God, she is incredible. She really, truly transforms into Billie Holiday. And we've seen really great performances of actor-singers playing Billie Holiday. We've seen Diana Ross do it in Lady Sings the Blues, and we've also seen it with Audra McDonald at Lady Day Sings at Emerson Bar & Grill. Both incredible performances, and Andra Day really just adds on to this Billie Holiday performance canon. I mean, she sings like her in a way that I did not expect at all, based on how Andra Day sings. Southern trees They're strange fruit almost wears the character like a suit in a way. She truly melts into Billie Holiday. She fully commits to a script that is not great. This movie itself is not great. It has a lot of great ideas and provides a lot of insight in some ways. And then in other ways it does come off as a kind of like made for TV movie in some ways. But Andra Day is absolute perfection. Like, I would watch it again just to watch her performance again. She really exceeded every single one of my expectations because when she was nominated for a Golden Globe, I mean, we all know the Golden Globes are kind of bullshit. So when I saw her up there, I was like, oh, that's cool, that's great. That's really, really awesome for her. And then she won and I was like, okay, Okay, and then a friend of mine who is a queer film critic named Murtada. Hello there. He was really going on about it, like it should win an Oscar. So I was like, okay, let me check this out. And then also was trying to check out everything I could for the Oscar episode. And if she would have won, I would not have been mad. I mean, it would have definitely continued a tradition of black women who are in pain getting Oscars. However, man, she just killed it. She really killed it. So big ups to Andrew Day. The United States versus Billy Holiday is now streaming on Hulu. Like I said, I thought the film itself was I, right, but it is 100% worth checking out for Andrew Day's brilliant performance. So in closing for today, some food for thought. What are some other films that you are on the fence about or straight up don't like the way I felt about Antebellum (laughs) and you would like to see me cover on the podcast? Comment on our post on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple. And also, you know, follow us on Spotify if that's how you listen to your podcast. Thank you per usual to the team. We have Matt Mozzarella on audio. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. And we have, of course, Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. So we will be taking a little two-week mini break. You know, the team has things they have to do. They need rest. They need vacation. I also need rest. Life is getting very busy for me. But in two weeks, we will be back with... A film that in contrast to Antebellum I find to be pretty fucking perfect this film is called pariah it is an amazing queer black film if you have not seen it check it out it is streaming on Netflix now and you all have Netflix so it's very accessible it's incredible and I will be talking about this film with a wonderful wonderful young black queer filmmaker herself her name is Kai Thomas and I'm so excited to chat with here about this incredible film so until then stay safe stay black and stay blessed and I'll see y'all in two weeks bye It's over. Great.